We are in week two of a series called Relationship Revival. The reality about relationships are we all have to be a part of them somehow. You can't, you can't avoid them all. And um, the good thing about that is God created us for a relationship. The, the, a longing of the human heart is actually to be connected. They say through psychology and different things like that, they say that all the way from infancy stages, you actually desire a relationship. That's why little girls have dolls and then boys try to play with superheroes. And then as you grow up through pets and different things, you continue to do things that put relationships in your life. So as complicated as they are and as tricky as they can be, they're God's idea for their life because they're good for us. Can I get an amen today? So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But before we do, I want to just welcome those of you that are new. If you're with us today and it's your first time, so glad you joined us. I want to let you know that just down the hallway past the coffee bar at the end of service, we have a free gift that we'd like to give you. Some of our lead team is back there to answer any questions you may have and tell you more about the church. And uh, we'd love that opportunity there at the end of service. But on behalf of my wife, Jessica, and the rest of our team, grateful that you joined us today. I believe God is going to continue to speak to us. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray, and we'll jump right into it. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for today, the way that you love us, lead us, and are already speaking to us. And God, I pray that as we hear these truths, even though they may be complicated, they may feel even overwhelming, God, I thank you that by your Spirit, Lord, we can accomplish what you've called us to. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm so grateful that, you know, as we have relationship issues, whether it be maybe with a coworker, maybe a spouse, maybe you're in a dating relationship, maybe, maybe it's family, whatever it may be. I'm grateful that we're not left alone to figure it out. I'm grateful that God gave us uh, his holy word. He gave us um, the, the way, the truth. We can look at this and say, okay, what is God's design? I want you to think of it this way. You might be in here today. You might not be that religious of a person. Maybe you don't go to church very much or, or you don't have much of an upbringing in that regard. But I want you to think about it this way. You're not left to do life alone. As a matter of fact, the creator... Uh, said, hey, uh, I've created all of this, set all this in motion, earth, and the way that we live and have relationships. And he didn't just leave us to figure it out. Instead, it works like this. He said, hey, I've created it. And now I'm going to give you my holy word. I'm going to give you the truth to show you how to live it out. An example would be, if I wanted to know about how this microphone works, I was like, I need to know what's happening with the frequencies and the radio waves. I need to know all this kind of stuff. What I would do, honestly, is I would go to Doug and I'd be like, how does it work? But if I really wanted to know, if I really wanted to know the intricacies about how this thing will live its most successful microphone life, I would go to its actual designer, its creator. And the creator would say, well, I, I had this in mind when I created it. I had this in mind when I designed it. And that's what we do every time we go to God's word. We don't go to God's word and go, oh, what are the rules this week? And they go, hey, I want to live my best life. You know, when Jesus showed up here on earth, he showed up and he said, I've come to bring you life and give it to you more abundantly. He was saying, hey, I'm coming to show you the better way to live. The world's going to tell you how to live and culture's going to tell you how to live and TV and the internet. They're all going to tell you how to live. But the best way to live is if we go to our creator who created us with intention. Yeah. It's like if we were to go ice skating. It's like, hey, I'm gonna, no, nah, man, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna go ice skating. I'll figure it out on my own. And you go out on the ice skating rink with some rollerblades. You might make some progress. You might be able to get around kind of doing it your own way. But if you said, hey, no, what's the intention of an ice rink? I'm gonna put on ice skates and I'm gonna do this the way that it's designed to be. I mean, you know, that's the best experience. And that's what we do when we get into God's word. We go, hey, I know you're our creator. I know you have intention. I know that you want to see me live an abundant life. And so we're going to check in and we're going to dial into what God has for us with relationships today. You want to do that? It's going to be complicated because relationships are complicated. I said last week, you know, the reality is we all have issues. This whole room is full of a room full of people with issues. And I know some of you really well, and some of you really have issues. <laughs> I got family here today, and so I know that we got issues. But... Uh, I wasn't talking about you, mother. I was talking about dad. But uh, 
but there's issues all over this room. And isn't that the best part about church? Is that we all get to come in with our issues and our hangups and our things, and we get to go to a perfect God who's got perfect solutions. Amen? And so last week, we kicked this series off. We talked about the four kinds of love. Do you know in the Greek, when we look at the word love in the Greek, there's four different kinds of love. So if you missed that, uh, go back and check it out. It was fun. It was funny. We brought Barbies up here and just had a great time looking at God's truth. But this week, I want to get a little bit more intentional. This might be a little bit tougher of a sermon. I think that maybe you should probably get out your notes and get ready to take some stuff uh, down because we're going to be thinking about it. But the title of my sermon is today is The Great Eight Relationship Killers. The Great Eight Relationship Killers. Now, there's many more than that, but I picked about eight of them today that, that I feel like we got to make sure that these killers aren't in our relationship. So let's take a look at it. Uh, point number one, right off the bat, point number one, a thing that we know kills all relationships is selfishness. We must be a people who don't allow selfishness into our relationships, whether it's marriages, friendships, the way that we parent, whatever it is, we can't lead from a place of selfishness. I wrote it down like this. Selfishness is a sickness that must be intentionally eradicated from all relationships. You know, the the trouble with selfishness, I wish we just grew out of it. Uh, He'll grow out of selfishness in a little bit. Uh, Actually, the longer selfishness goes unchecked, the more that it grows. It's kind of one of those monsters that you don't even have to feed it, but it continues to grow. So we must be a people that are intentional of saying, hey, I I can't let selfishness be a relationship killer. I can't walk through life being all about me. I thought about it like this. Uh, The way that selfishness presents itself in a relationship is if your mindset is this. Hey, around here, we're going to do things my way. And I'm not going to pick on the guys today. Of course, I'm not going to pick on the ladies either. But you might have grown up in an environment, and I think maybe men have a more tendency to do this because we think, you know, I'm called to be the head of this household and the leader of the home. And so that means we're going to do things my way. You might have grown up in a generation where they actually literally said to you, hey, around here, we're going to do my things. It's it's my way or it's the, yeah, you get out of here if you don't do it my way. And now there's some truth to, you know, parents are authority and young people in this room. You need to treat them with honor and you need to respect them and all that. But if our mindset is, oh, no, no, the way that the world is going to spin is my way or the highway. I mean, we're not living the way that God called us to in relationships. Or some of us might be thinking, no, you know what? The only way that things are going to happen in this relationship is they're going to happen on my time. They're going to happen on my time. When I say things are going to happen on my time and, and, and when it works for me, that's when things are going to happen. It's a very selfish way to lead and interact in a relationship. A big one that we do in, in lots of categories of our life when it comes to selfishness is this one. Hey, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything relationally until I first find out how does it benefit me. Well, that's nice. The church needs people to serve, and that's nice. That need, but I'm not going to do any of that unless I first find out how it might benefit me. Or maybe the boss calls you aside and says, hey, I need you to work on this project. And your first thought is, I'm not going to be a part of that unless I first find out how it benefits me. We have this idea of I need to know everything and how it benefits me, my way and my time, and how does this benefit me? That's a very selfish way to be involved in relationships. Philippians 2, 3 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, now anytime there's a rather in scripture, it means this. It means instead there's a better way to do it. So scripture saying, hey, don't do it out of selfish ambition. Instead, there's a better way to do it. And it's going to tell us the better way to do it. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking into your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. 
This is super hard in our culture because we live in a society where no way, baby, it's all about you do you. We live in a culture, it's like you do you, you live your truth, it's all about you. What is this crazy nonsense about considering others above ourselves and, and looking into their interests? What is that mess? No, it's culture's like, you do you, man. Or we go, here's another good one, and, and we sound real high and mighty when we say this, we say, no, man, it's all about self-care. Girl, you take care of yourself, self-care, it's all about you. And so it's all about this lifestyle of self-care. Now, there's some truth to that. You need to make sure you're taking care of yourself and you're healthy emotionally and physically and all these kind of things. Those things are important. But if we walk into a relationship saying, no, 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 this is all about making sure I'm taken care of, it's a huge injustice. We literally have built our marketing on this all throughout culture. It's like, oh, hey, no, no way. No way can I have a mattress that's the same as the person next to me. I need my own comfort select on this side. It's about me over on this side of the bed. Or we get in the car and it's like, oh, this program, this key remote, it better, remer- it better remember how to return my seat and my mirror adjustments back to the way I do life. So we literally built cars that remember because it's got to be all about me in that driver's seat. This is selfish, selfish culture. It's all about us. But verse 5, if we read on the scripture, uh, I, I, I pose this question. Uh, let me back up for just a second. It's all about us. And I thought about this. I wrote it down this way. You're never more the opposite of God than when you're being selfish. When we go through relationships and we go through our life and it's all about us and it's all about me, you're never more the opposite of God. God is selfless. I thought about it like this. The fall of Satan came. The fall of Satan came when he looked into something else. He looked at God getting the worship and the splendor and the glory. And he said, you know what? I deserve that. I want that. I want this to be about me is the thing that caused Satan to fall. So how do we overcome selfishness? What's the antidote? How do we overcome it? We overcome selfishness by being people who serve. Scripture just told us, hey, don't don't be a people who make it about you. Instead, be a people who serve and prefer others. Verse 5 went on to say it this way. In your relationships with one another, because we all have all these different relationships, in our relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, they knew that this was his mindset, which is this. Hey, I didn't come to be served. I came to be somebody who serves. Overcome selfishness, and, and, and I love people, and I, and I interact in relationships with other people if I'm somebody who knows how to come in and serve and prefer and prop up other people. Can I get an amen today? Some of the worst leaders that I ever served under, because I worked in corporate leadership and I've worked in ministry leadership, and some of the worst leaders I've ever been around are the kind of people who all they do is think and try to put in place, how can I get people in my life that are just here to serve me and do what I want to do? We see that person come and you think, oh gosh, what do they want now? Because all they're trying to do is take and take and take and take. Nobody prefers to be around those people. Serving works selfishness out of us. So in our relationships, we got to say, hey, in this marriage, in this workplace, in this environment, how can I be somebody that works serving into this relationship? Because it works selfishness out of us. Point number two, this is a tough one. It's a relationship killer. Unrealistic expectations. Point number two is this. This is a relationship killer in our life is if we hold and we keep unrealistic expectations. I don't know about you, but maybe it's happened to you before where maybe you're that kind of person where you came home from work and you worked hard all day, worked hard all day. I, I was the man today and I came home and you come through that front door and you're just thinking to yourself, you know what I expect here? I expect my favorite dinner on the table. 
I expect the kids to be in perfect order. I expect the, the house to be all picked up. I expect my wife to be so excited to see me. Oh, hey, Mr. Dreamy's home. How are you today? <laughs> perfect music on in the background, that kind of thing. I would never expect come home and be like, your kids today. They're tied up in the backyard. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I threw away the key. <laughs> and you're on your own for dinner because I'm out of here. No, nobody does that. Or maybe, ladies, maybe for you, maybe it's uh, an unrealistic expectation might be, oh, he's going to come home today. And he's going to have flowers. And he's going to be so excited to see me. He's going to just scoop me right up. He's going to hold me. He's going to kiss me and tell me how much he appreciates me. And he's going to put me down and reach in his pocket. He's going to get out a poem he wrote for me today. Oh, you guys don't do that? I don't do it either. It's probably an unrealistic expectation. And this unrealistic expectation. Another one I hear from newlyweds all the time. They come in, they're marriage counseling, they're engaged, and they say, oh, man, when we get married, I'll tell you what, when we get married, we're having sex every night and twice on Saturday. I'm like, you're about to learn the word headache. That's what's going to be a big part of your life coming up. Unrealistic expectations. We all have them. It's part of a relationship. Can I just be real in church today? Is that okay? Unrealistic expectations. It's a big part of life. Here's the trouble with unrealistic expectations. There's this thing that lives in the middle of expectation and reality. It's this word called frustration. We have this expectation. Maybe it's been said or not said, or we just have this thing that we think the way that it should go, but life is always changing. We're always having curveballs thrown at us. So we have this expectation, but then we also experience reality. And if we're not careful, there's this thing that happens in the middle called frustration. And if we aren't intentional about, hey, what do we do in the middle? What do we do when it comes to frustration? It can really kill a relationship. How many know what I'm talking about? So we got to be a people who are honest and who look at things. James 4 tells us about this. James 4, 1 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? It's these expectations, these wants, these desires. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Hopefully none of you have taken it there. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. You quarrel. Why are we quarreling? Why are we fighting? Because there's something that we want and we're not getting it. It says you do not have because you uh, do not ask. You do not ask God. And let me back up here to verse two. Here's how I want to say it to you this way. You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. Now we know you don't kill. You don't murder. But you know what you do kill? Joy. You kill the peace in the relationship. You kill the satisfaction in the relationship. If you have this unmet expectation, it says that you have this desire and it's not met. And so then for you begin to kill all of these other healthy things in your relationship. So the scripture is telling us it's important that we be a people that identify what are healthy expectations. And we're communicating and we're going to each other on this so that we don't kill those important things in our life. Amen. Here's a couple of unrealistic expectations that we got to be careful about. One is this. Some people might think my spouse is responsible for my happiness. He's got to come home from work and he's got to make me happy. Or you come home from work and you worked all day long and now it's her job to make you happy. Happiness doesn't come from people. It comes from God. True contentment. Now, they're a part of us finding satisfaction and happiness. But if your whole desire is waiting on somebody else to bring you happiness, you're going to have an unmet expectation. Another one is this. My spouse knows my motive and my thoughts. 
You walk around all day. I can't believe he didn't do that. He knows what I want. He knows my motives. He knows. I told him in 1993 about this. <laughs> Guys don't remember anything in 1993 unless it's a sports style. Okay, I'm just trying to tell you ladies. And so we got to be a people who can be vulnerable with each other and say, hey, babe, you know, I remember that one time that I kind of opened and I shared to you that, you know, I had this thought and I had this thing. And we got to be able to communicate. You can't say it one time and expect them to remember. Are you with me? Men don't have a clue. The older we get, sitting down to tie our shoe even becomes like a half a thought. How do we do this again? I'm speaking for myself. I turn 40 next month. So that's why I got these slip-on shoes today. It's like a... Another unrealistic expectation is this one. I see it just killing relationships everywhere is this. My spouse and I can solve everything on our own. We don't need to have anybody in our life. We don't need to open up about anything. We don't need to get vulnerable with anybody or talk to a counselor, or communicate with anybody or have any wise counsel around us. We can handle this. We know each other well. We're strong. We've been through everything. We can go through anything. We don't need anybody. That's a huge unrealistic expectation. I say this all the time. If you think... Just because you and your spouse together say, yeah, no, we're good. We're good. We don't, we don't need any. The two of us have decided, yeah, we're good. If you think that's the qualifier for you being good, can I tell you, you ain't good. <laughs> we all have blind spots. We all have shortcomings. We have, need to have people in our life who can look at us and say, hey, guys, you need a little help over here. You need to take a look at that differently. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. When it comes to counseling. We need to have a counselor before the crisis ever happens. Do you know that we all go through tragedy and trauma and people are in and out of our life and we all have different experiences. That's just called life. You need to have someone who can counsel you through that. Unfortunately, most people don't get counselors in their life until the crisis already happened. That's like getting in the car crash. You get into the car crash and then the car crash happens and the smoke is everywhere and you get in the car crash and you turn to everyone in your car and say, okay, put your seatbelts on. The crash already happened. So if you're introducing a counselor after the fact, you're really missing it. Are you with me today? So it's an unrealistic expectation for us to think, oh, if we think we're good, we're good. That's why it's important for us to take advantage of, of good counsel and wisdom. That's why so many of us are going to be at the marriage class that you just heard about. Two weeks on a Monday night, we're going to be up in the second floor sanctuary, and we're going to be finding out what it looks like to keep our marriages healthy. People come all the time and say, Pastor, the marriage is over, and we don't love each other anymore, and it's dead, and I don't know what to do with it. I'm like, what you should have done was two, year, two weeks or two years. In the past two years you've been here, come to the classes. Come to the small groups. Come to the women's study. Get in relationship with people that are going to help hold you accountable to being healthy. Okay, a couple amens. We're getting there. How do we overcome it? How do we overcome unrealistic expectations? It's this. We realize that humans have limitations. I know you think your husband's perfect, and he's close. I know you think your wife is perfect. She's close. But they're limited. So we realize that humans have limitations, but God's power is limitless. God can solve all our problems. People can't. So if we keep looking to someone in our relationship, a boss, a friend, a coworker, a family member, if we keep looking to them to be the solve all, that's a very unrealistic expectation. That's why we need to have our sights set on God. Can I get an amen? Point number three of a relationship killer is secrecy. Secrecy destroys relationships because relationships were designed and built specifically for trust. God's design and his intention, especially inside of marriage relationships, is that both people are 100% vulnerable and open with one another. There can be no secrecy. There can be no holding back. It's 100% vulnerability. That's why in the garden, this is 
Interesting. In the garden, God places Adam and Eve, and they're both naked, and they feel no shame. They feel no shame about this until sin came in. And through this sin, which was now this thing that they kept secret, they then felt this thing called shame. And it caused them to what? Feel shame and revert and go into what? Hiding. Because secrecy, hiding things, holding things back breaks down our vulnerability. God is teaching us and designed us to be people who are vulnerable with one another. Uh, And our secrets in this hiding, it destroys that. I wrote this down like this. Secrets don't protect a relationship. They sabotage it. Guys say, uh, no, man, I'm tough. I can handle this. This is, this is my cross to bear. This is my thing for myself to overcome. And I'm going to keep this secret. You're not, you're not uh, protecting that relationship by keeping that secret. You're sabotaging it. And she might say, well, no, I got all of these hurts and these pains. And I don't want to bring my baggage into this relationship because he's going to think I'm crazy. And so I'm going to hold on to all these secrets. But that's not protecting a relationship. That's sabotaging it. Can I tell you of all the people that I've met with in, in relationships, whether someone's had an affair or they've misused money or they've had a hidden addiction, can I tell you anybody that I've ever walked through a traumatic experience in a relationship, it's not the sin that caused the most pain in the relationship. It was the fact that somebody had secrets that the other person didn't know about. God designed us to be vulnerable and to be able to go to people and say, hey, I got these things going on. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Don't hide these secrets. Don't keep these things inside. Verse 12, it is shameful to even mention the disobedient, what the disobedient do in secret. How do we overcome the secrets in our life? We have to be vulnerable. We have to do it with appropriate people. Pastor said, I need to be vulnerable. When I go home, I'm pulling up my Facebook status and I'm going to tell everybody what's going on. No, 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 no. You need to be vulnerable with the appropriate people. You need to find some people in your life that you can trust and you go to them and you need to say, hey, I'm struggling. I don't got this thing kept together like you think I have it kept together. Uh, I, I really need some prayer in this. I really need some help in this. And can I tell you, so many people that were so scared to get rid of their secrets whether they got rid of them on purpose or they got found out about, I'll tell you right now, their testimony is, I'm so glad, even though it was painful and it was hard and it was shameful, I'm so glad that I got out of that life of secrecy because they found their freedom. And so who do you need to speak to that you can say, hey, pray with me. I need to talk to somebody. Of course, many of you know, we have my mother-in-law who's a counselor. She's down at the Vertical Healing Center throughout the week here. You could see her. We think winning at home is a great ministry that you could get counseling, but you need to talk to somebody, especially in the days and the hours that we're living in. You know, some of the people at the highest levels, athletes, actors, anybody doing this kind of thing, I guarantee you they see therapists. Why? Because at the highest level, they just want to be the most healthy. How much more so should kingdom people be saying, God, we want our lives to matter and we want to be fruitful and we want to make sure we have people helping us. Can I get amen today? I wrote it down like this. Secrecy brings separation. Vulnerability brings intimacy. Being able to say, hey, here's what I got going on. Brings you closer together. Secrecy brings separation. You'll always be as sick as your secrets. So that's why the scripture said we're called to confess our sins to one another and we'll be healed. It can be a people who can say, here's what I got going on. I need some healing. Can I get amen? Point number four, this is a huge relationship killer, is negative, negative talk. 
negative talk, uh, just, just talking negative about things all the time and talking negative to your spouse or to other people that you're in a relationship with. I remember when we first started this church, um, it was like, it was like the second Sunday of this church and this sweet older couple came up to us and they're maybe older fifties, maybe sixties. They said, Hey, you guys, we, we want to take you to dinner and we just want to bless you and go to dinner. We're like, this is amazing. So we go to dinner with them and we're excited to get to know people. And it was the most horrible, awkward dinner. And I've been in ministry a long time that I had ever been a part of. As soon as they sat down, they were just ripping each other the whole time. They were just negative and, well, he don't ever do this and she never does this. I mean, it was like an hour long dinner that felt like seven years. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking like, I don't know what they're going to ask the entire time. They're just ripping each other. I don't know what they're going to ask at the end of this. Like, do they think as a pastor, I can divorce them at the end of the meeting? I don't know what they think. <laughs> I can do. And and so it's horrible. It's so awkward. So true story. We get back in the car. It's finally over. We're like, oh my gosh. We get back in the car and Jess and I are sitting in the car in the parking lot. And we're like, can you believe that? That was the most insane thing. I can't believe the way they talked about each other. That was so crazy. And so we're like half laughing about it. We're half crying about it. We're also going through our phone being like, somebody has to be punking us. Who put them up to this? (laughs) Like what a great prank. Oh, the new church planners. We'll put them in this. So we're sitting there in this horrible thing. And I'm not joking. You all of a sudden, bang, 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 bang on the windows of my car. And I don't jump very easy. And I didn't jump at the banging, but when I turned and looked, it was them again. <laughs> they found us in the parking lot. Oh, wow. So I reversed out, ran them both over, put them both out of their misery. <laughs> I think I did the right thing that day, but I just thought, I can't believe there's no way their marriage is going to make it. There's no way their relationship is going to make it. You can't have a positive relationship with negative talk. You just come home from work or you're walking through your day. You're just shuffling through negative about everything. I don't like that. I don't like that. They ain't doing this. Why aren't you doing negative? negative? Scripture says life and death is in the power of our tongue. Everything we speak is planting seed. We got to be walking around being positive about what's going on in our life. I don't know how we got here. I don't know what all this life got like. Because you've been speaking negatively about your whole life for 15 years. The scripture says God's not mocked by it. What you speak is what you're going to have. Okay, Proverbs 13, 3. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Do you want to ruin relationships in your life? Do you want to ruin your marriage? Do you want to ruin your friendships? Do you want to ruin your, 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 your single life and dating? Do you want to ruin those kind of things? Well, the scripture says how to do it. It says speak rashly, speak harshly, speak negative over situations in your life, and you'll find ruin. People say this to me all the time. I just have to say it. Oh, just just a minute. I just have to say it. And I, no, you don't. You actually don't just have to say it. <laughs> you just don't have to say it. Here's the hard part. Is those that are closest to us often get the worst of us. So what I'm trying to say is in your home life, your marriage, your most, one of your most valuable relationships, maybe your kids, one of your most valuable relationships, because they're so close to you, they get the worst of us, even more so in our homes. We need to be guarding that we're not ruining these relationships. Uh, my tombstone will say, the John Mayer song, my tombstone will say, uh, my stupid mouth got me in trouble. You know that song? That's basically the story of my life. Uh, because God gave me this gift of crafting words and arranging them in a way that hopefully have some sort of efficiency to them. But it can also be my negative Achilles heel where I don't do a very good job of guarding my mouth. 
and it's got me in a lot of trouble. And I remember when Jess and I were first married, again, the closest people to you uh, get the worst of it. So we're first married, we're newlyweds, we move off to North Carolina. And again, I'm young and stupid. And so I'm just saying whatever's coming on my mind. So I'm saying all this kind of stuff. And I don't think it's harsh. I'm just using my words, you know? And all of a sudden I look, she's like in the corner crying. And I'm like, what happened to you? <laughs> you, you, got, you got to learn. You can ruin. You can. Are you with me today? We got to be careful what we say and who we say it to. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building others up. Listen to this. According to their needs. Well, I just got to say this. No, that's your need. Well, I just got to say. No, no, no. That's your need. Scripture's telling you, you only say what's for their need. The building up of their need. I just need to say this. Scripture says that it may benefit those who listen. God gave us our words for the building up. That doesn't mean we don't avoid. That doesn't mean we never have confrontational conversations. That never means, you know, we don't ever work on things. It's just saying we got to use in our words in a way that we're building up. Are you with me today? Well, I just need to say this. Okay, say it to God. He can handle it. Because when you say it with a hot temper, when you say it out of emotion, your kids can't handle it in that time. God can handle it. I just need to say it. Go somewhere and say it to God because your kids probably can't handle it. Your spouse can't handle it in that moment. Your coworker, your boss. And so if you just have to say it, go say it to God. Can I get an amen? Here's what's so important that we get this right. We ask the question, is this benefiting those who are listening? What I'm saying right now is this benefiting those that are listening. But here's why it matters. You're going to write this down. I'm going to repeat this. People become what the most important people in their life say they can become. Write it down. People become what the most important people in their their life say they can become. I say this all the time. You meet somebody and they say, oh, this little Jimmy, he's so good at this and he's so great at this. And wouldn't you believe that little Jimmy grows up to be so great and so good at that? Oh, we saw it at a young age and we begin to say this. And I know that's not the case all the time, but here's what we believe. People rise or fall to the level of our praise. If we talk about people up here, isn't it amazing that they get to that? But if we're always talking about people down here, what do you think they get to? Well, he's never good. He's never been any good. And so you meet someone and they say, oh, I had a, my childhood. So I was always a mess up. I was always doing this. Our words matter. Are you with me today? Point number five, this is a relationship killer that we just have to stop doing. We got to get rid of this. Uh, Point number five is cuddling. Cuddling's got to stop in households, okay? (laughs) Cuddling, the word cuddling in Greek, okay? The word cuddling in Greek is suffocation. Um, uh, Another translation of it is um, smothering. Smothering and suffocation are the Greek word of cuddling here. You know, the scripture says in Genesis that God took the woman from his rib. Don't throw water at me. See, <laughs> see, Jess is smarter than me. She's like, he doesn't ever preach anything about throwing. She's like, don't use your words. And I'll just chuck water at him. So I got a point about that in just a second, dear. <laughs> scripture says in Genesis that God took, took it from a rib. He separated from the man's side a rib and made a woman Women, you got to stop trying to get back in our ribs on things. Just give us our space. Point number six. Do what you want with that. Point number six is comparison. This is a hard one. Comparison. I've said this a million times. Here's the trouble with social media is social media is everybody's highlight reel. I know I'm going a little bit long, but I hope it's okay. I'm saving you counseling money, $150 an hour. We'll take care of eight things, one session right now, okay? 
comparison is so hard because in social media, it's easy to compare. Our social media day we live in, you see everybody's edited highlight reel. And you go, wow, I wish our relationship could be like that. I wish our marriage, I wish my kids were like that. I wish we could do all this kind of stuff. But, but, but what we live is the backstage scene. We see the chaos, the crazy. That's like what we actually live. We just look at everybody's highlight reel. I remember there was a day, uh, Jess and I went golfing, and she posted on Instagram, and, and we were like, oh, we're golfing. We had like matching outfits, I think, and everybody's like coming to me, and they're like, oh my God, you guys are so cute. Your marriage is so amazing. Look at you guys golfing, you cuties. So, I was like, you don't want to know about that day. <laughs> I mean, if you would have met me that day, I had TaylorMade embedded on the side of my forehead because she chucked a ball at me because I was critiquing her putting. Like, you, you don't want to... It wasn't a cute day. I think on the 11th green is the, 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 on the 11th green is the one where she threatened to stag me, stab me in my trachea with her tea. You say one more thing, I'm stabbing you in the trachea. I was like, I had to go back and apologize to one of the old men on the other tea boxes because we were arguing and he said something. I was like, zip it, old man, I'll break your hip. Where's your wife? And he's like, she's dead. And then Jess was like, I wish I was dead. It was like this terrible day, horrible day. And so you guys all come in and be, we wish we had that marriage. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Comparison. These highlight reels. They're not real. They're not real. Galatians 6, 4 says, each of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. We got to stop comparing. We got to stop trying to, well, they said that. Did you see they went out to that restaurant? We got our own thing to carry. God's got our own race marked out for us. And we need to be diligent to that in our relationships. Can I get an amen? Stop comparing yourselves to other couples. Another mistake that we make is we compare ourselves to our upbringing. Well, you know, I'm not satisfied because, you know, when I was raised, we used to do it this way. This is how we came up. Well, you're not coming up that way anymore. God's got you in a new family dynamic. You understand what I'm talking about? Or we compare each, each other in our marriage relationships. We say, well, I think it should be this because I work harder. Well, no, I think it should be this because I care more. And we're constantly measuring against each other. Stop comparing even among one another. Or we glorify the past. We compare the past. Oh, remember when we were first dating, we used to do all this kind of... You're talking about when we didn't have jobs or kids? Of course we went to the movies every single night. We didn't have jobs or kids, right? Like... So stop comparing. How do we overcome comparison? We do it by living a life of gratitude. We say, God, I'm so grateful for this house and this spouse and these kids and the things that you have put in my life. God, I'm grateful that I have a job. Do my boss and I get along perfectly? Probably not. But you know what? I'm grateful that I can make an income and provide for my family. That's how we overcome comparison is being grateful for what we have. Amen? Point number seven. This is huge. I'm going to try to help a lot of people here in just a few minutes. Point number seven that we got to stop doing, it's a relationship killer, is we got to stop fighting dirty. Some of you guys, the way that you go at each other in conflict resolution, and, and we've all been guilty of this, it's just not healthy. Uh, again, I'm somebody who, uh, I have the gift of arguing. Uh, uh, Saturday morning, Andy and I, we, we woke up basically arguing all morning long, just text messaging about LeBron and, and uh, MJ and He's an idiot. He still thinks Michael Jordan's the greatest. And uh, I obviously am smarter and realize that the, the king is the goat. But anyway, that's another. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so we're going back and forth, back and forth. And, and, and then the kids are asking me, who are you talking to? I'm like, nobody. It's an idiot. But anyway, <laughs> why would I spend a Saturday morning? Just I like to argue. I'm like, a, I'm like a thing. But that's not healthy in relationship. Listen, listen. If the way that you win an argument 
is just because you slam dunk, you said enough zingers in the relationship that you won the argument. That's a very unhealthy way to resolve conflict. I wrote down like this. All relationships have conflict. Healthy relationships know how to resolve conflict the right way. One of the ways that it's not healthy is a silent treatment. Oh, you know, that's it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to stop talking to him. And then after three or four days of the silent treatment, everything is resolved. It's not resolved. He or she just got sick of the silent treatment. You didn't resolve anything. I'm just telling you as your pastor, the silent treatment is not allowed. You got it? You come tell me if someone's doing the silent treatment. Another one that we do that's unhealthy conflict resolution is we bring up the past. So, well, you do this. Remember when you did this? The scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. If somebody asks for forgiveness and they walked in repentance, it's not healthy conflict resolution to keep bringing up what somebody did back in the past. Can I get an amen? Extreme statements is another thing we got to stop doing when it comes to getting into conflict uh, and fighting dirty is we say things like you always and you never. And we use all these big, bold statements. You always. And the justice is like, well, actually, last week I did. Well, that was the only time. But otherwise, you always never. And we use all these. You got to stop doing that. Uh, Our counselor taught us this one great thing. It's called redo. And so you're in a situation and somebody messes up and you're in the middle of the situation. Somebody says something you didn't like or took an action you didn't like. Instead of storming off and being upset and starting the silent treatment, you go, hold on one second. Uh, Can we do a redo there? Because nobody actually wants to blow up the relationship. Everybody actually wants to resolve the conflict. So you go, hold on, time out. Can we do a redo there? Because here's what a redo says. A redo says, I'm not going anywhere. I love you. I want to see this resolved. We want to have healthy conflict here, resolution. But the way that you said that or the way that you went about that needs a redo. We don't got to get exaggerated here. We're just going to throw a little flag and we're going to say, hey, going to do a redo. Now, you can abuse the redo, too. You can't run around the house yelling, right out, right out. <laughs> We're not going to be redo police, okay? But I think it's important if we want healthy relationships, if we want to be fruitful and live the way that God's called us to in our relationships and our marriages, we got to be able to say to each other, hey, how are we going to be able to resolve this? Um, and then here's another thing that's important. When you involve people, you need to involve people who are qualified to help you resolve conflict. I've said this all the time, calling up sister bucket mouth, who's going to agree with you about everything and say how big of a jerk your husband is. That's not someone qualified to help you, bro. Calling your bro. Who's like, bro, you deserve, you know what you deserve. You work hard. And the Mr. You deserve it guy. He's not, he's not qualified to help you either. You go to your pastor, you go to a counselor, you go to some men and women of God that are going to actually help you go through the Bible to resolve conflict. Another one that we do that's a huge mistake and people who aren't qualified. Do you know this is crazy? You don't actually have to go to your entire family and tell them everything. Every brother, sister, mother, daughter, cousin, neighbor, they all don't need to know the whole thing either. They're not qualified. Let's involve the qualified people. Can I get an amen today? James 119. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry. Here's why. Because human anger does not produce righteousness that God desires. Here's what we do. Here's how we overcome fighting dirty. We attack the problem and not the person. Too many times in our fights, you, well, you and you and you. No, no, no. We're not here to get you. We're here to get the problem resolved. Are you with me today? Let's focus on the problem and handle that. I'll close with this. And then my last point. Point number eight is this. Here's a huge relationship killer in closing is point number eight is 
putting each other first. Putting each other first in a relationship is a relationship killer. If you put anyone other than God first in your life, you're going to see consequences. So if your husband is the most important person in your life over God, you're in trouble. If your wife is the most important person in your life over God, you're in trouble. We're not called to put our spouse. We're not called to put our boss. We're not called to put our friends as the most important people in our life. They're not the most important relationship. Our most important relationship in our life is with God. Putting something other than God first in your life is called idolatry. It's idol worship. And God says we can't do that. So our spouses matter. They're significant. They're some of the most important friends, relationship, family. All these things are important, but they cannot be number one. A relationship will never thrive unless God is put first. We put God first at everything. The beginning of our week, that's why we come to church. We put him first in our finances. That's why we tithe. We put God first in everything so that he can bless the rest. Same thing in our life. If we put God first in our relationships, he blesses the rest of it. That's why Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless God's put first and he's the one building the relationship, you are wasting your energy. You can listen to all the self-help books you want, but if there's no God involved, they're no good. So how do we overcome putting others before God? How do we overcome that? It's this. We prioritize our own personal relationship with God. I said it earlier. I know you may walk around and take a look at your husband and think, is he a God? You see your wife, is she a goddess? I know Jess thinks that way about me a lot. Is that a God in our house? I just, I have to tell her, no, babe. It's just a mere mortal. <laughs> but your husband, your wife, they're not God. But here's the perfect plan. Your marriage will never be perfect. But you can have a perfect strategy, which is to pursue God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. If in our relationships we pursue God with everything, he can bless the rest. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So let's put him first and watch him bless our relationships. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for your word and your leading and your guidance. God, we don't want to do anything by our own wisdom and our own thoughts. But God, we want to follow your plan for our life. God, I pray that you help us live these truths out. Lord, I believe that in this room and those watching online, there are going to be some who get the boldness to be vulnerable. Maybe they were raised and told how we don't talk about our feelings. God, I pray that you give them the softness to reach out to a counselor, to connect with a brother. As a matter of fact, we pray against that spirit of pride. One of the greatest things we can do is ask for help. Jesus, we saw you model asking for help through friends and through the Father God. God, I pray that you give every man boldness to say, I need some help. God, I pray that you help lead people out of a suffocating situation of secrecy. God, you help them just expose those things that may be deteriorating their life and their relationships. Lord, help them find their freedom. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you didn't leave us to do it on our own, but God, you're, you sent us the Holy Spirit who you called the helper. Holy Spirit, be our helper in all of these areas. 
Lord, we thank you and we speak in advance over every marriage, God, that it is fruitful and it is growing healthy. God, give us the power to speak words that bring life and edification and the building up of others. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.